Welcome to the Australian Chiropractors Association podcast. The ACA is the peak body representing chiropractors in Australia. Hosted by ACA President, Dr. Anthony Coxon, these podcasts explore the science, art, philosophy, and politics of chiropractic, as well as reviewing the latest research and discussing how chiropractors can strive for excellence in practice. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Australian Chiropractors Association podcast. I'm your podcast host, Anthony Coxon. One very powerful but often forgotten element of the doctor-patient experience is that of communication. Whether through the spoken word or body language, we are influencing patient outcomes either consciously or unconsciously. Importantly, we may also be influencing these outcomes positively or negatively. Now, I'm delighted today to be speaking with another of our ACA conference speakers who happens to be a master of communication in Marvin Oka. Now, to give you a bit of background of Marvin, he's a certified master behavioral modeler and certified neurolinguistic programming master trainer. He's a highly sought after international consultant and speaker specializing in business and management applications of leading edge behavioral change technologies. Marvin's clients range from private enterprises to government agencies throughout Australia, New Zealand, Southeast Asia, North America, Europe, and the Middle East. Marvin's professional background uh, is in the field known as behavioral modeling. Now, behavioral modeling is essentially a behavioral change technology that can be applied to dramatically improve human performance in the areas of thinking skills, emotional intelligence, physical skills, and overall ways of being. Born in Hawaii and now living in Australia since 1987, Marvin is one of the founding directors of the International NLP Trainers Association, based in Washington, DC, and with representation in over 42 countries worldwide. Marvin was listed in 2006 as one of the top 15 corporate keynote speakers for the prestigious Saxton Speakers Bureau, as voted on by their top corporate government and industry clients. And as I said, in Hobart, Marvin will be speaking with us on the subject of the power of language for healthy aging. Hi, Marvin. Welcome to the ACA podcast. Hi, Anthony. Thank you for inviting me. I'm very excited to be part of this podcast. So many Victorian chiropractors uh, may know you through the work that you've done um, in various programs for the CAA Victoria, but for the rest of our podcast listeners, perhaps you could run through a little bit more about your background and how you uh, moved into the field of communication. Yeah, thanks for that. It's a, somewhat of a, a long story, so I'll try and keep it short. Uh, it was back in the 1970s, really, that I was actually in entertainment and show business. Uh, it was actually, of all things, uh, as odd as it may sound, uh, but it makes sense in, in hindsight. Uh, I was a professional magician and an illusionist. And in 1976, I won an international conventions, a magician's conventions competition in Japan for the for a sleight of hand. I became a professional magician in the mid-70s. And at that time, I also went back to the University of Hawaii to study things like uh, perception theory and theater and communication theory, just to be able to create better performances. Uh, I quickly got involved in the public speaking arena, and um, I started to recognize that the entertainment world was by definition a, a relatively shallow world. Everything was about image. And as I started to learn more and more about human psychology and about uh, how people create realities for themselves and how some of those realities would be either empowering or disempowering, 
I, I started to become more and more uh, disenfranchised with the entertainment field. Uh, I started to do more things around public speaking, running programs, personal development programs and trainings, uh, utilizing magic as a metaphor. And some colleagues said, can you do some things for teenagers? So a bunch of uh, colleagues and myself, we started producing a, an accelerated learning program for teenagers. It was a seven-day residential in Hawaii. And it was very powerful. It was an intense transformational program for teenagers. And we took on a lot of the troubled teens as well. So you live and breathe with them for seven days. And so there's, you know, you can't just get away with espousing things. You, you really have to be authentic and, and, and walk your talk with them or, or they'll call you out any, at any given moment. Uh, and some people from Australia came to watch it uh, because we were getting such great results. And they said, can you do this in Australia? So of course we said, yes. Uh, and look, my colleagues and I, we came over to Australia first in 1986. Uh, we were coming in every, every school holidays really uh, to do this program for teenagers. And after a while, the parents said, can you do some things for us? And so we said, sure. And so we started running uh, seminars and workshops for the parents. And then the parents said, can you do things for our businesses? And we said, sure. Uh, and soon I was flying in and out of Australia, probably about every four to six weeks. Uh, and at some point, someone said the obvious thing. And they said, why don't you just move here to Australia? Uh, and I, as I was getting more and more uh, unhappy with the entertainment business that I was doing, uh, and I was getting more and more um, enthralled with, with making real changes for people. And I loved the Australian culture. I, I thought people here were, were so much more into substance rather than packaging and hype. And so I said, yeah, I think I'll, I'll make the move. So I, I finished a 10-year career in entertainment and show business, and I moved to Australia in 1987. Uh, and since then, I, I've had a public training company that was, I had offices in Melbourne and Sydney, uh, and since then, I've scaled back and to get much more of a work-life balance. But I do a lot of public and corporate programs and uh, do a lot of keynote speaking, a lot of executive coaching work, particularly in the areas of leadership, in areas of generative coaching or transformational coaching, looking at consumer psychology, and of course, in the areas of wellness, which is where, um, where my intersection goes with the Chiropractic Association. So my major focus though in all of this is doing what I call second order change or change that is transformational, whole system change that increases the wisdom of decision-making in society. So again, I can spend a couple of hours just going through all of that, but I won't, but hope, I hope that's enough for now. Well, it's a, certainly a very interesting story and a very interesting transition from uh, Hawaii to Australia. And we're delighted uh, that you've, you're calling Australia home. And that transition from being uh, an entertainer, a magician, to, uh, as you've said just there, the, uh, the more authentic and, and, um, and real area of uh, communication. And, of course, that's the intersection with, uh, with chiropractic in the wellness area. Um, one of the things that you talk about is behavioral modeling. Can you explain what that is and maybe give some examples of how chiropractors or indeed anyone might apply this technology? Yeah, thanks. For that. It's, it's, I'm very excited about, about, obviously, about what I do. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing it. Uh, behavioral modeling to me is just a wildly exciting uh, uh, methodology and technology. In essence, what behavioral modeling is, it's about discovering the, the subconscious processes that produce human competence or human expertise. Uh, it, all forms of human ability require processes, neuropsychological processes that are occurring outside the awareness of the performer. People are, are 
unconsciously competent. So uh, as classic example, and I'll probably do this at the conference, is I'll, I'll often ask in a presentation, I'll ask the audience to everyone hold up their hand and just wiggle their fingers. And then I would ask them a very simple question. If I were a novice and for some strange reason, I didn't know how to wiggle my fingers and I wanted to wiggle my fingers just like how you were doing it, I would then ask you the obvious question. So tell me, how do you do this? And what would you say? And for most people, they're at a loss. They have no idea what to say. They say, well, you hold your hand up and you wiggle your fingers. Well, yeah, that's fine, that's accurate, but that's totally uninformative to someone who doesn't actually know how. Because every form of human ability, any, anything that we do, we are unconsciously competent. We actually don't know how we actually do what we do. So if someone came up to, to you, a, a young chiropractor came up to Anthony and said, Anthony, I, I want to be able to become as great a chiropractor as you are. Um, can you tell me, what does it take to be a good chiropractor? How do you be a good chiropractor? Odds are likely you will tell them what you think it is, you will tell them stuff that maybe you consciously are aware of up to a point. But the real magic, the real difference between a great chiropractor and someone who's just merely good it, it requires processes well outside their awareness. It's intuitive. It's, it's years of experience. It's, it's built on heuristics. There's a range of things that's actually in play that they wouldn't even think to articulate. And so our job as behavioral modelers is we're sort of like neurological hackers. We sort of come in and say, uh, and we try and discover what is it that's occurring within your central nervous system that's outside your awareness as the expert that even you wouldn't think to articulate. Our job is to find a way to put language to it and with, to create a model where we can replicate that behavior in others or at least some aspect of that behavior. If we do that, we then have a behavioral model. Our job is to be able to replicate and transfer forms of expertise. Now, having said that, not everything is replicable. So for instance, uh, I could model an Olympic athlete who could, or an Olympic weightlifter, who could lift several hundred kilos over their head. That doesn't mean I can do it. Uh, I, I don't have the, the muscle mass or the bone density, et cetera, but I can certainly use their performance strategies to improve my performance levels. Uh, and, and often what makes the difference is, is counter to what most people actually think. So I can go again, it's another one of these, I can go in forever and a day, but I won't. Uh, some applications of behavioral modeling are obviously we model top performers. In this case, we model great chiropractors, uh, or we can, uh, when we do that, by the way, we can produce profiles uh, for selection and development, career planning, uh, personal development planning. We can also look at innovation in, in product and service design. We can understand the psychology of a target group. Like for instance, we could model a chiropractic, you know, your, some of your top patients, uh, your top clients, and understand what psychology do, what is common to some of your best clients as to why is it that this psychology comes in and gets great results from chiropractic care compared to others. Which leads us to probably the last, uh, not last, but probably the, one I, the last I wanna talk about at this point is what's called diagnostic modeling. And diagnostic modeling is how is it possible someone can create the challenges that they have? So in this case, let's say as a chiropractor, you've been working with a particular patient or a client, for several sessions, maybe even months or years. And they seem to either not be getting a lot better or they seem to have plateaued. Or, or they, seem, uh, they seem to keep coming back with the same issues. As a diagnostic modeling process, we would look at how is it possible? What, what kind of neurophysiological psychology has to be in play so that client maintains their problem? How is it that, they, that they're, they're not able to improve 
even with great chiropractic care, what's actually going on. And once we understand that structure, then we know how to alter it and how to actually do a, a breakthrough or transformation with it. So um, these are just some of the, some of the applications, but obviously there's a lot more to it. Uh, but again, I could spend forever in a day and I don't want to bore people too much. Well, it's certainly not boring so far, that's for sure. I, but I do want to pick up on that last point because I think this is where, um, uh, where it's very important for chiropractors to utilize their skills to, uh, to help influence patients in a positive way, whether it is uh, that they're stuck and, and I'm sure any chi chiropractor or indeed any health practitioner that's been working for any length of time would have come across patients where they are physically and emotionally stuck in place. Um, they non-compliant with exercises. They, it might be associated with some, you know, obviously usually with some psychosocial overlays, um, some of which are very evident and, and some of which take time to draw out. But, but uh, you've talked uh, before about how you identify where a person, person is at and you draw them through, uh, how, how can we use these communication skills you're talking about to help people that are stuck like this? Oh, look, it's a great question. And it's really to the, to the heart of, of the message I really want to give at, at the conference. Um, so obviously there, you know, when a, when a patient or client is, is stuck in their ways and, and particularly if they're insisting, uh, and, and I'll talk about they're identifying with a lot of their issues. So it's not just a, a condition, but it's actually an identity issue that they're holding on to for a whole range of reasons. There's no magic bullet. It's, it's not a single thing. But the angle I, I particularly want to emphasize at, at this point in time has to do with language and communication. And it's not just the way that the, the chiropractor communicates with their patient or client, but it's also the way the patient or client communicates back to themselves about who they are and, what, and, and how they relate to their, their health issues. So one of the key things is, is understanding that communication or language in particular has a direct impact on someone's level of health or, or their health processes and whether or not they, their health processes are evolving and, and moving towards greater and greater levels of, of wellness or not. Uh, so let me unpack this for, for a little bit. And, um, and I'll, let me just explain a bit about how language impacts our levels of consciousness and vice versa, how, how they're interdependent, and how it facilitates levels of what in psychology is known as metacognition. And without metacognition, uh, without skills in metacognition, your patient or your client is now dependent upon, upon you, the chiropractor, or, or some other source of authority or so, some other source of external influence to make a difference. They're not self-empowered at that point because they're, they're caught up in their own stories. They're caught up in their own limiting beliefs and assumptions. So without the ability to get meta to themselves and understand their own processing, uh, then they'll, they'll never be a choice about it. So let me explain this a, a bit further. First, a principle that comes from general semantics. Count Alfred Kozipski created an entire field called general semantics, which takes a look at how, the, how words can have meaning. And he pointed out that words have a kinesthetic impact. Now that's quite profound when you actually realize, you, you know, I think we've all grown up and uh, we've heard the phrase, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. <laughs> but, and we all know as adults, yes. that's completely untrue. That's, what, that's, a, that's a huge lie. Right? Words can definitely hurt people. In fact, words can cripple someone mentally, emotionally, psychologically for, for, the, for a lifetime. If, if you know, words were spoken to a child and they grow up with this limiting belief that was best based on, some, on some, what some adult told them when they were little and they had no filters to, to defend against it. Yep. Uh, you know, people's self-image, self-esteem are all driven by the words people tell them. Uh, it's, it's not the only thing, but it's a major thing. 
And so Korzybski's point is that for any word or language pattern to have meaning, actual meaningfulness, not, it's not just you know, in one ear, out the other, but it actually has meaning for you. It gets processed through the body. You actually have a physiological response to words. Otherwise, it has no meaningfulness to you. So you know, a great example is if, if I come up to someone and I say, okay, I, I need to talk to you about your mother. I know for a lot of people, the word mother is what we call semantically dense or semantically packed. That one word has a lot of emotional associations, a lot of memories attached to it, uh, you know, yeah. a lot of things. It, and your body responds. Uh, I often tell people, you know, if you ever doubt that words have a kinesthetic impact, just go up to a stranger and suddenly start swearing at them. Right? And you'll find your swear words will produce a physiological response in them. <laughs> One you may not want. Yeah, exactly. You know, but at the same time, endearing words, love, you know, words of love and affection produce a different kinesthetic response. And, and, and yeah. the organism, the human organism, organizes itself, responds to itself, you know, does a different form of healing in that, in that process. Now, next thing I want to talk about is, is this idea that in language, uh, again, at the conference, I'll talk about many different types of language patterns, but one of them very powerful that I can illustrate here in this podcast is a notion of what's called a nominalization. Now, don't worry about the jargon word. Just get the idea of what this fancy word means. What, what, it, what a nominalization is, is a word that, that in real life is a process, but in language, we've turned it into a noun. We've made it a thing or an event. And so a classic example of this that I often give in, in examples is, is the word relationship. So the word relationship grammatically is a noun. Therefore, since nouns are things, you can possess them. You can have a thing. So it's, it's grammatically correct to say something like, I have a good or bad relationship with someone. Yeah, yeah. And most people think that's okay. Now, as Alfred Krasinski says, the map is not the territory. Don't ever confuse your language of something with the thing itself. So in real life, you know, if your map doesn't match the territory, if I have a map of Australia and it's completely off, right? It, it, it has not, the, the, my map looks nothing like how Australia actually is, right? If I use that map to get around Australia, I'm gonna have a really tough time in my travels and journeying, right? If my map of life is off, my, I have wrong, uh, faulty beliefs or, or false assumptions, et cetera, living life is gonna be really treacherous. If my mapping of health, my health and wellness, is off, then you can do all you want as the chiropractor, but as the patient or client, I can't do anything with what you're doing or I can do minimal with what you're doing because my maps that I'm using to navigate my health and my choices take me in a different direction or, or they get me lost in the terrain, right? yep. but, I'm, but I still yep. insist on following the map. So a classic example of this is the word relationship. If you, uh, let, let me give you a sensate example to, to really drive it home, right? So, so Anthony, if, I, if, if you said out loud, I have a bad relationship with someone. If that were true, how might you be feeling? Oh, negative, sad, upset. Yeah, exactly. So everyone might feel stuck, angry, negative, sad, upset, whatever it might be. Now in real life, the territory of real life says that health, uh, well, sorry, relationship is not a thing. You can't have one. So you don't operate from that kind of a map. That map will get you lost, right? It'll, it'll take you down some very bad paths. Instead, you don't have relationships. It's not a thing. You didn't buy it. You can't put it on a shelf at night. You can't store it in your pocket. It's not a thing. You have to engage in it. It's a process. We have yeah. words for processes. They're called verbs. 
a lot of verbs have the suffix ing. So maybe a better map that better fits the territory is I'm relating to someone badly. So if you said that out loud, I'm relating to someone badly, now what would you be thinking? Well, opportunity to change, I guess. Yeah. So it's instant. Suddenly I have choices. Suddenly I can do, I can make it different. Suddenly I can be responsible. You know, it now becomes a question of what do I want to have happen? And, and do, I, do I want to make it different? And suddenly you're, you're now empowered with, with choices. Now, what's the yeah. difference? And, and, and the change is instant. The change is in, literally in a matter of seconds. And what's the difference? You're mapping, you're languaging of this. Now, if a, if a client comes in and says, oh man, I've always had trouble with my health, as if it's a thing separate from them. Well, good luck. Guess what's going to happen in the future? They will always be struggling with their health, right? Mm. Because it's not, yep. it's not something they own. Yep. So how do we turn that into yeah, a verb? So what do we do? So first, let's start to understand that if we denominalize it, we realize it, health is a process and it's a process of healing. Now, what is the process of yes. healing? So I think most chiropractors would know the etymology of healing is to make whole, which is about integration. It's about having, having total integrity of the organism. How do we integrate? So, which means by definition, when someone's having a health issue, something's not integrated, something's been disintegrated. Our job is to integrate mind, body, emotions, spirit, energy, right? Physiological structures with mental emotional uh, uh, processes as well. So. But, but what causes us to be integrated or disintegrated in mind, body, emotion, spirit, consciousness? Part of it is languaging. So for instance, a client comes in, we look at the stories, the narratives, the, the language structures, the narratives holding their beliefs and their reality together. If so, you know, I'm, I'm sure all chiropractors would have, heard, would have heard this line. Someone comes in and says, oh, my back is killing me. You know, if someone actually believed that map, what we call eat the menu instead of instead of recognizing the menu represents the food instead they you know they're hungry they see a sandwich on the menu and they eat the menu right it's like well, that's not yeah, gonna I help like that <laughs> don't, don't eat. so if they eat the menu this language mapping this of my back is killing me first of all it's the back that's the problem it has nothing to do with with me and the way i think or the choices i make or or the way i relate to myself it's the back Right? Yes. I've, I've, I've disidentified with the back. I've made it separate. Yep. I've disintegrated. Secondly, it's killing me. Now, if, if I were to respond to that language, I'm going to be in a lot of suffering, right? Which is really different than if a client comes in or, so, or, or if, if, a, if a chiropractor then picked that up and did a lovely little subtle reframe on it. Again, you're, you're not imposing a reality, but you're just simply adjusting the language to have some some mapping that the way you can now start to do things you just go oh that's well, no. so so tell me a little bit more you're obviously experiencing a lot of sensations from your back so your body is now telling you something so what is it that that you're starting to sense is is happening for you and mm -hmm. suddenly now the person's got to connect to themselves it's not the back can you fix the back <laughs> right yes, well, yes no no you've asked me to actually check in with myself and ask me, what's, what, is the, what are these sensations about for me? And suddenly now I'm owning this and I'm, I'm suddenly now engaging in the process of all of these signals and how I'm doing myself. And that's just the beginning point. Now we can start to go to work. Right? And so, so as, soon, as soon as we move from it language, the back or the neck, right? Or it's the, yeah. my problem is my L4. Well, actually, no. L4 is kind of the the end symptom of the whole way you're doing yourself 
but you know you, you can't just tell them that directly they'll get really offended so so we have to do this subtly in this case so here Im improper use of language can keep a client fixed and identified with their problem you know as opposed to someone who is in process where they can actually have choices and start making things different and i guess this is uh, i mean as chiropractors you know we're all about making precise and subtle adjustments physically to the spine clearly we need to be subtle and precise with our adjustments to the language as well oh, oh absolutely absolutely and uh, i'll go over at the at the conference some, some key things to be aware of and so one of those things for instance is identifications uh, so when people start to identify with their problems uh, or, or their health issues then it no longer becomes a, a condition that is that is a result of ways of, of doing mind body emotional integration or non-integration uh, it, it now becomes a sense of their self-image and at that point if, if you're just working on them physically but not altering their self-image i mean my god we're right back to the classic um, when was it? And, you know, when, when Maxwell Maltz created or wrote the book Psycho-Cybernetics, you know, what is it, half a century ago, you know, as, as, a, as a cosmetic surgeon, he discovered that he could make massive changes to someone's appearance and they would still have very low, a low self-image and low self-esteem, feeling like nothing's different. And he could have other patients where he would do a very subtle change to maybe their nose or something and their whole world would change, their whole life would change. And he started yeah. to wonder, what's the difference? And he realized it's not the external, it's their, it's their self-concept, it's their self-image that, that is the ultimate governor yes. that, that's doing this for them. So if they identify with their health problem, well, guess what? They'll always have those health issues because it's part of their core identity. So unless you can start to shift it from, your, you know, you're not someone who is um, um, with this particular condition, but you're, you're someone who's experienced it. And you're actually someone who can make that different. You're actually someone who can make different choices that completely changes the way your body responds to the way that you think and your emotions and the choices you make. And you continually are upgrading people's psychology with every time they come in to your clinic. Every time they come in, there's a slight upgrade in how they think and how they process the world and how they relate to themselves. That's when you'll start to see patients really start to make some really big self-evolutionary changes for themselves. I've always been aware, and from what I've heard of you uh, talk before and others about um, pacing and matching, or at least identifying with where people are at in, a, in an effort to build rapport. I, I laugh in some ways when my wife uh, uh, starts to speak to our Russian housekeeper uh, with a Russian accent, um, <laughs> which, is, which is quite, quite amusing. But how do we go by um, balancing out being ourselves, being authentic, which is what you, you know, drew you to this communication uh, in the first place, as you said earlier. Uh, how do we balance that out with the need to, I guess, be a, somewhat of a chameleon and, and really identify with where the person is at and able to, to lead them out of that sort of stuck position or bring them to a, from a noun to a verb? Yeah, that's right. Uh, first of all, th thank you for that question. I love, this is such a great question because it is, it is one of the big... Oh, how, what can I say? One of the big misunderstandings by a lot of people when they first get exposed to, um, and, and again, I'll, I'll be quite direct here, when they get exposed to bad NLP, bad, bad presentations yeah. of NLP. Um, NLP, I mean, you know, to be, to, I'm sure most of your listeners will be aware of, and if they're not, uh, it, it won't, won't be long till they are, that NLP has, has uh, a Basically, when you talk, about, talk to people about something like neuro-linguistic programming, you, you usually get one of three responses. You usually get, oh, no, that's the most worst and most manipulative, manipulative thing I've ever heard of. 
all the way to it's the most fantastic life-changing you know, technology around and then the third response is what's that never heard of it <laughs> so, yeah um, but the the ones that that say you know it's the most manipulative thing you know in, in some ways uh, unfortunately I, I can't fault them because there are a lot of very bad NLP presenters and trainers out there who either misrepresent NLP or, or even sometimes out and out literally misuse it. They, they actually do use it in, in, in very, what we call, what we call unecological ways, unethical ways. Uh, but, but that's not the technology. The technology is very neutral. Uh, and, and when it's in the hands of good intent, it, it becomes life-changing and, and transformative. So let's come back to your question around this notion of, of uh, how do you actually, you know, pay someone's model of the world, adjust your communication while remaining authentic. So first of all, I'm, uh, I can, I can, the reason why I did that preamble is I'm assuming that the, re, the, the motivation behind that question is that in some presentations of NLP, they teach things like rapport as how to, you know, match and mirror people's body language, how to use the same words that they do, uh, et cetera. And, and if it's not done from a place of, of high intent, nor understanding what you're actually trying to do. If they, if they misunderstand what you're actually trying to do, it, it does come across as highly false and manipulative and insincere and, and, and really sleazy. Yeah. Uh, uh, now, so, and, and that's not what rapport is. Keep in mind where NLP came from. It came from behavioral modeling. It came from when people like Bandler and Grinder and others were looking at master therapists, people like Virginia Satir, Milton Erickson, uh, Fritz Perls, when, when these people could make profound transformational changes with other people, what did they do? And one of the things they noticed that Ben and Grinder and others noticed was these master therapists were able to join their patient's model of the world very quickly, where the, where the person was related to, they were connected with, and a relationship was then, a healthy relationship was then developed where communication flow could happen and the person was now receptive to learning, was receptive to the therapy. And this is what they meant by rapport. It was a connection. And so this is the, the idea. The idea isn't match and mirror and, and just copy body language. The intent is to connect. The intent is to pace. The intent is to join their world so you understand them. And when I, when we, once we join their world, then we can expand the world with new choices. Rather than insist that you try and understand my world, let me understand your world and then let me see where we have common ground and let's start to, to build upon, upon that connection together. That's what rapport is about. So authenticity and, and pacing are not mutually exclusive. They, and in fact, they go hand in hand. And in fact, we do this all the time, right? So if, if you're in a social situation, Anthony, uh, you know, say you're just at a party and it's not a networking party, it's just a social party. Your manner of interacting with people will be very different than when you interact with patients in a professional manner in your clinic. And, and, and you're authentic in both situations, right? but you've altered your style to fit the context at hand. Yes. Uh, if, I'm, if I'm talking to a child, it's not the same as if I'm talking to a business colleague, right? uh, but it doesn't mean uh, I'm not being me, right? I'm, right. I'm, just, I'm just being socially aware and socially appropriate. That's all. Now, if a client comes to well, you, yeah, sorry, go on. Yeah. No, 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 you keep going, sir. Yeah, so, so if a client comes to you and says, you know, I, I, I have, I've been having this trouble, you know, with, with my back for the last 10 years, and I am just, you know, I, I'm, I'm so depressed, I don't know what to do. 
If you then say, oh, that's not a problem. We can handle that. Well, there's no patient. You haven't joined their world. You know, they're thinking, yeah. oh, no, you don't understand me. <laughs> right? Right? You know, despite your good intent, you don't understand that I've been suffering for 10 years. How could you possibly say you can just handle this? Mm. Right? There's no report. There's no connection in my world. And therefore, if you just were paying attention, you just said, well, I can understand. You must have, that must have been terrible suffering for 10 years with this. I can imagine how debilitating that would be. But let's, let's explore this and let's find out what we can do about this. And I'm sure we can do something. But first, let me talk to you about, about you know, what your experience is of this. And now I'm thinking as the patient, you haven't said you're just going to magically transform me, which to me would be unbelievable. You said you acknowledged my 10 years and you're going to, and you hope you can do something with it, but you want to talk to me about it. So, gee, I hope you can do something too. So let's talk. And suddenly now there's a bridge. And as we talk, you tell me a little bit more and you bridge a little bit more. And I start to get, I start to realize, wow, maybe there is something you can do. And then by the time I'm done having this, you know, maybe initial consultation with you, I walk out hopeful going, wow, you understand me and you've introduced new ideas I never thought about. And I can't wait to actually get to my first chiropractic care session. This will be great. But you have to acknowledge it. And again, we're not saying be false. We're not saying, you know, just you know, match and mirror your client's body language. We're saying be authentic, but be respectful. And by that, I mean, understand their world, join it, find out where you connect. Then, as we say in, in neurolinguistic programming, always add choice, never take away. How do I, everything that happens for the person makes sense to them in, that, in their model of the world. Let me understand your model of the world then let me add new choices for you that make sense in your models of the world and that will also will expand your model of the world. That's what rapport is about. And that's why authenticity and pacing, they're not mutually exclusive. In fact, they go hand in hand together quite well. Marvin, it's a, a fascinating topic and I'm sure uh, there'll be many chiropractors who will be very eager to learn more about this at the ACA conference and uh, learn how to build more bridges uh, with their clients and with people in general to, to improve their lives because communication is so Im immensely important. And thank you so much for um, making the time today to, to be a part of the ACA podcast. Oh, look, it's my, it's my pleasure. Anything I can do to support the chiropractic uh, field, uh, I'm, I'm more than, more than happy to do it. You know, it's, uh, and, and I love the, the topic of this year's conference around positive aging because uh, just uh, last month, uh, I mean, I turned 60 myself. Uh, which means uh, my parents sent me to a chiropractor when I was 15. Um, wow. so, so that means I've, you know, I've, been, I've been receiving chiropractic care in one form or another for the last 45 years. So I've, I, I'm a firm believer and fan. And um, so anything I can do to help support the chiropractic community, I, I'm, 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 much more, I'm totally open to doing. So thank, well, you for, thank you for the invite. <laughs> that's a pleasure. And at 60 years of age, you're a fantastic team testimonial for chiropractic that's that's for sure marvin so yes thank you again uh, that's it for me thanks for listening don't forget to register for the aca conference to hear more from marvin and many others i hope this podcast has been helpful in your quest for excellence and i look forward to chatting with you again on our next aca podcast mm -hmm.